please turn in your Old Testaments to Isaiah 43, verses 2 through 7. We actually have provided Bibles there underneath the pews. Now, we've got several on order. We don't have them all throughout underneath. So if you reach under there and don't see one, ask a neighbor and he can pull one out. In a few weeks, we'll have Bibles for everybody. Isaiah 43, verses 2 through 7. As we continue in this series entitled Isaiah 43, a portrait of God's love for us. And this is the very word of God and God speaking. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flames shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give Men in return for you, people in exchange for your life, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, I will gather you. From the north, I will say, give them up and to the south, do not withhold them. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Oh Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open this word to us. And God, would you open our eyes to how real your presence and protecting presence is. In our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are not that many people in the course of our entire lives that will really stick with you. I mean, stick with you through thick and through thin. I mean, the person that is always got your back. Those are few and far between. Because you know something? We're all going to go through it. We're all going to go through things that are very difficult. The topography of the journey of human life is, is, has some steep grades as well as some broad plains. And God wants us to have people in our lives who will be there. And be those folks that are not only there but are there when we come through it. I want you to think about, other than your spouse, I want you to think about somebody in your life like that. If you have something to write, you ought to write that name down. And you ought to show somebody that name written down on pencil. Because that name written down in pencil is a very important person in your life. Well, I want you to know this morning, on the basis of what God's word says in our text, God is like that, only God is so much more. Infinitely 
greater in His ability to be with us, in His ability to stick by us, in His ability not only through the process, but out from the other side as well to always be there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But you know, God isn't there just to share our journey. (laughs) God is there actively loving us actively leading us, protecting us, and all for his purposes. It's all caught up in the great drama and beauty of his sovereign will for our lives, for his church, and for the world. And knowing that God is there makes a difference. So, let me ask you this question. You know yourself as well as anybody Why would God stick with you? Why would God stick with me? The answer is in this amazing Old Testament passage. It is verse 3 of the text. And it simply is because he is the Lord our God, the Holy One who is our Savior. And And it is amazing because if God sticking with us or Israel, for that matter, was based on Israel's fidelity to him or based on our fidelity to him or the, the constancy of our love for him, then, then we would understand why God would not want to stick with us because like Israel, you and I go astray. I love what the Scottish pastor in the 1800s, Robert Rainey, wrote to a church member who kind of all of a sudden realized his sin And when he realized his sin, he was very depressed because he just wondered, God, could you you love somebody like me? And Robert Rainey wrote to this man, he said, Grace, my friend, grace is God's goodness that triumphs over all reasons to the contrary. Meaning he shouldn't. But the very point is that grace says he is. He will. He shall, he will be with us. And there's two things that I'd like to look at in this passage today. They are that God is with us in the water and in the fire. And secondly, that God delivers us from the water and the fire. God's with us in the water and the fire. God delivers us from the water and the fire. So Let's talk about this notion that God is with us in the water and the fire. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass, and you will, when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, they will not set you ablaze. It will not consume you. Where is God when things are difficult? It's a great question. People ask it all the time. It's a fair question. The answer is God is with us. If we know him, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But we learn, I think, pretty quickly that God's love is not a smothering kind of love. God is there, but God has chosen, and we know this because of our experience, God has chosen not to always keep us from experiencing difficulty, not to keep us from experiencing trouble. He is with us as we move through the river. 
the water, the fire. And there are lots of people that in their hearts, they, they kind of get this notion. They, they think that if God really loved me, he wouldn't let anything happen to me. Particularly things that really hurt. If God really loved me, none of this would, would go on. But that's not what Isaiah 43 says. You know, the, the Bible, aren't you glad, is a book written to describe life the way it actually is in a fallen world. Don't you love that it's not just, you know, a, a set of sayings, a, a just wisdom literature, just some spiritual advice? No, the Bible describes life in a fallen world, warts and all, water and fire and all. We recognize that the Bible is true and is different and is in history. And this is the texture of the Bible. We recognize it because we recognize our lives squarely in the Bible, in this, this topography that we are journeying through in our lives. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. Now, we still use the phrase, man, that was some deep water I had to go through. And then sometimes we say, talking about some kind of trial in our life, we say, man, that was like a, coming through a firestorm. So the idea of, of making it through deep water, of making it through fire, we still use this as a metaphor for, for trials and, and difficulties and challenges still today. And this is very helpful to understand where God is when life hurts. And the question is not whether we're going to go through hard things. And you already know that. The question simply is, when we go through hard things, will we rely on God who is with us? You know, before Jesus went to the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember this story? It actually happened, this narrative of what happened. Uh, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said... You know, if, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And this cup was the, the cup of God's wrath, the condemnation that he would take on the cross. But not only did he, did he do that, and he said, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And Jesus decided to go through the waters and the fire uh, that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. But you know what else he did? He prayed for his disciples and he prayed for us. And you know what Jesus didn't pray? Lord, would you show them you're real by never letting them go through really hard stuff? He did not pray that. I'd like to read to you the prayers of the second person of God in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is John 17, 15. My prayer, Father, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. This is not to be lifted up and beyond all difficulty. He's saying, be with them. He's going right back to when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. And in the fire, I will be there. The protecting love of God doesn't insulate us from difficulty. It's his presence. That makes the difference. And you know, I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I've had to learn this over the years. And unfortunately, I still have to learn it again sometimes. Because when hard things come in my life, after I've learned it, that God was there, I say, God, why? And that's not a bad question. God's a big boy. He can handle that. Um, you know, the psalmist asked that question. 
But God is answering that question today in Isaiah 43, not answering the why question, but the who question. I am with you. And you know what I've, I've learned over the years that these trials are ultimately for my good. In fact, I cannot think of another pathway whereby I have learned more about God's truth and his grace than trials. What about you? Have you ever had a pathway where you, ha- you, you, you went to school and learned, really learned, more than the trials God allowed and was with you in? One scholar, Dr. Kilpatrick, put it this way, faith is always to declare that in and behind all that happens is the living God. And he went on to say this, when we realize this and assert this, conviction, feelings awake. Oh, yeah, God is there. God is there. God's love, regardless of what we understand or what our ability to grasp is, God's love allowed the fire and the water. God's love has been with us in them, and God's love changes us through them. And we would not have changed in those good ways without them. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. I think one of the reasons we don't get this is we have the temptation as parents or even as children wanting this from our parents to overindulge our children, to overprotect our children. We hover over our children and we try to shield them from all possible problems. This is not the way God loves his children. Totally insulate them. You know, I have a cousin who was absolutely smothered by her mother and her father was somewhat absent. She lived practically in a bubble, I kid you not, and never was allowed to make decisions. Her life was sanitized, hermetically sealed, and antibacterial. And she is, was not able to do very well in adult life. Because that mama's definition of love was to keep anything from happening, even the possibility from happening to that child. And what she did was she kept that child from life and from discovery and from the the growth that happens in the body of Christ. There are things we need to protect our children from. Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about life in the body of Christ, in a fallen world, in a family. Sometimes we demand for our Heavenly Father to insulate us from all difficulty. And we need to understand this morning that though our hearts would love to never experience anything hard again, that is exactly what will keep us from from growing. That's exactly what will keep us from glorifying God and becoming more like Jesus in our lives. When you pass through the waters, when you walk through the fire, these are obviously metaphors and they are metaphors in this text of the destruction of Jerusalem and being hauled off into exile in Babylon. But you know what? They're, they're metaphors that are they're built on actual shared communal experiences of the people of God. Yes, they passed through the water. Remember how they passed through the Red Sea because God brought them through. Remember how they passed through the Jordan River when they were coming into the Holy Land because the, the Lord did this. Remember when they passed through the flood 
in, in Noah's flood and, and the ark rested on the other side because God was with them. So they understand that this is metaphorical, but this is rooted in actual experience, you see. The fire might be a general reference to danger, could be a reference to the fact that they just survived the fire of Jerusalem and the burning to the ground of their capital city, and they survived it because God was with them. Might refer to Jan- Daniel chapter 3. You remember Daniel chapter 3? Three young men deported with the rest of them to Babylon. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were their Hebrew names. They were thrown into a fiery furnace by the king of Babylon. And uh, remember what Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the emperor of the world, said after he threw them into a blazing furnace? Daniel three twenty four. This is amazing. When King Nebuchadnezzar, then King Nebuchadnezzar, leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his, devi- his advisors, weren't there three men tied up that we threw into the flames? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, all unbound, all unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of God. You know why? Because the fourth was the son of God. Because... When you go through the fire, I will be with you. It's not just you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the topo map of your life looks like now or why. But please understand, it's not just you. And it's not just your buddy who's got your back. If you know the living God, it is the living God. Whose love never forsakes you. Whose presence makes all the difference. That's the first thing. God was with them. So God is with us in the water and the fire. Secondly, God delivers us, we read, from the water and the fire. Verse 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Deliverer. Your Savior. Very interesting how after all that's happened and and God is still with them, we now begin to talk about what will happen. And the, the kind of the hinge verse here is this description of God as the Lord, all caps, L-O-R-D, your God, the Holy One, your Savior or your Deliverer. That is Yahweh the covenant-keeping, relational God who always lives in the eternal present, who loves you now, who is there always now. Yahweh, who is Elohim, meaning chief over all, the God who loves you, who is chief over all, who is Kadosh, who is the only and the Holy One, who is Yeshua. Yeshua, that is the word here, who is Yeshua, it is the word we say Joshua. If you put the word in Greek, the word is Jesus. I am Yahweh, your Elohim, the Holy One, your Jesus. Your deliverer, your Savior. I love verse 30, uh, chap, uh, Psalm 37, verse 39 
and 40, salvation, the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. That's the walk with you. The Lord helps them and delivers them because they take refuge in him. I am Yahweh, Elohim, the Holy One, your deliverer. So God allows things to happen in our life. But you know something? There comes a time when God will deliver. I'm talking about from different things that happen. We'll get to the greater deliverance in a moment. When my girls were little, we lived in Tuscaloosa. Emily was two and Sarah Caitlin was five. And uh, I remember one day they were out playing in the driveway. And, and so I went out there to watch them play. And there's a little girl in the neighborhood who was seven. She's older than both of them. And what I remember about this little girl, her name was Sarah also. We called her Little Sarah. And the other thing I remember, which is kind of strange, is she wore the same bathing suit every day, which is kind of gross, but she did. And um, so here she comes, same bathing suit as yesterday and the day before and the day before. So you couldn't miss her. So she came to play with, with, with the girls. And there we were, you know, and there was a ball or toy and there was a tricycle and it was all happening right there. And, and that little Sarah... She, she ran up to Emily, my two-year-old, and who had a toy in her hand. She ripped the toy out of Emily's hands and shoved her to the ground as hard as she could. I couldn't believe my eyes. So being Emily's father and protector, I, uh, I addressed this little girl. And, uh, and I said, uh, listen, Sarah, little Sarah, there's something you need to understand about where you are right here. We don't steal toys and we certainly don't shove people down, particularly babies. Do you understand? Yes, she said. Y'all, it wasn't five minutes later. I was sitting in one of those, you know, those good old lawn chairs with the, like the canvas, the multicolor. You know, I was sitting there, it's like everything's going to be cool now. Five minutes later, she walks back up to Emily, takes the toy out of her hand, shoves her down, and this time it's not on the grass. This time it's on the pavement, and I heard Emily's head pop as, as the back of her head hit the pavement. I leapt to my feet. There had come a time. I had allowed it to happen twice, and twice was all that was going to happen. And I, I looked that little girl in the face, and I want you to know I was controlled. And I said through gritted teeth, I told you that we don't shove two-year-olds down. And I said, and when we do that in this house, we apologize. Now, you need to apologize to Emily. And she got so mad, she stood. I said, you will apologize or you will go home now. It was a, it was a standoff. And she finally screamed as loud as she could. I'm, and as angry as she could, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she ran off with that. But something in me was glad that she was gone. And I knew I was the reason she left. And there had come a time 
and my daughter was safe. God allows things. You need to understand that. But God also delivers. And we're not in charge of the schedule. We're not in charge of the, of the sovereignty. Okay, here's a great example. Egypt. 400 year schedule. Not really our modern schedules with deliverance. I realize that. Babylon. 70 years in captivity. A better schedule for us, but uh, not still not our schedule, 70 years. But, but there really does come a time, and God really does deliver. Here we see in our text, in verse 3, that God is shaking the nations to deliver his people. You see, we, we kind of go with, I've been with you. You made it through the Jerusalem fire. You've walked through the water. Now, I will deliver you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring you home. I am about to move in history. Verse 3, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Stop. Stop. That's the only place in the old, entire Old Testament that God says directly, I love you. God describes His love all over the place. It's all about the love of God. In the book of Micah, He says, I have loved Israel. Here He says, because you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you. I will redeem you. I will deliver you. You see, the prophet Isaiah not only predicted that they would go into captivity and all the difficulty that they would go through, but he also predicted that they would come out of captivity. And you know how they came out of captivity? If you, if you know the history of, of that area during that time, what you know is that the Babylonians rose to world prominence. They were the superpower. And then, shockingly, Suddenly, another power rose up. And you know what that power was? That was the Persian Empire under Cyrus the Great that destroyed Babylon. Everybody in the world was shocked that there was actually another power that could challenge Babylon the Great. And they utterly destroyed or or defeated Babylon in fact, Isaiah, in Isaiah 45, 13, says this. Isaiah says, I, speaking of God, God speaking, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make his way straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. Because, you see, God delivered Israel by raising up the Persians And it was the Persian king who said, not only can you go free, I'll send the money to rebuild the temple. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, God delivers. And that's the same God who allows us to go through things. And and some of those things are excruciating and almost unbearable. And all this business about Egypt, Cush, and Seba. This has to do with the the farthest boundaries of the Persian Empire. Egypt was the great prize of the Babylonian Empire that they conquered. Cush is equal to modern-day Ethiopia. Seba becomes the southernmost boundary of the Persian Empire, and God is raising up the Persians to deliver His people out of the hands of the Babylonians. He shuffles the nations because they are precious in His sight, 
honored and he loves them. I want you to know, if you know him, you are precious in his sight. You are honored and he loves you. And if he will shake the nations for his people, there is no price too great for his deliverance for you. Do you believe that God is with you? Do you believe that God will get you home before dark? Or are we just on a dirt clod hurling through space, the earth, with no particular purpose in our lives but to live and die and that's it and whatever happens doesn't matter? Or are you precious in his sight and honored and he loves you? You know, we know that is true. Because he is still Yahweh, the covenant-making, the relational, covenant-keeping God who always is the I am who always loves his people. He is still Elohim, the chief over all. He is still the Kadosh, the holy God, and he is still Yeshua. And we know this because Jesus, remember what the angel said to Joseph? Don't be afraid. What is be, has been wrought in, in Mary's womb is, is from God. And you will call his name, what? Jesus. Yeshua. For he will deliver his people from their sins. We know this because the same night that Jesus prayed to the Father that we would not be taken out of the world, but that God would be with us while we're in the world... He made the decision. He agreed to go through the flames of God's judgment, through the flood of God's wrath, and God would not be with him so that God would be with us. He was swept over by the flood of God's holy condemnation. He was consumed by the fire of God's wrath. God was not with him. My God, my God, he cried. Why have you forsaken me? It's because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And by his wounds, we are healed. And by his wounds, we become his. And he is with us through it all. He is the Messiah who came to save. You know, that same prophet who prophesied, and I just quoted from Isaiah 53, about God laying our sins upon the suffering servant, God I quoted about God not being with Jesus. He, the same prophet said this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear him a son, and you shall call his name, not Jesus, Emmanuel. What does that mean? What's it mean? God is with us. You see, Jesus was forsaken. And God was not with him. And he took all 
of our sin and all of the, the wrath intended for us so that Jesus could be our Emmanuel and God could be with us whatever you are going through. Deep water, high BTU heat from something. If you've put your trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross, I want you to know something this morning. Isaiah 43 is yours. He is your Emmanuel. He is with you. He will stick with you. He will love you. And it makes a difference to know that. And he does deliver you. And we are his church. And that's what that window is about. That window is about that great day when multitudes from every nation, tribe, and Language will be before the Lamb, and He is with His church. He is with the movement of His grace and His love, and this is our purpose to live in Him, to live out His purposes that look like the gospel of Jesus Christ with one another and with a desperately needy word. Listen to these words, and He will deliver us, and He will get us home before dark. Listen to these words. This is verse 5, and I'll, I'll finish reading. Fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. I'll deliver you. I'll bring your offspring from the east. And from the west I will gather you. And I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not withhold them. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, who I created for my glory whom I formed and made everyone who is called by my name. And yes, in this life, he will deliver us. He will be with us and he will finally bring us home to be home with him. And he will finally bring us home to the world's greatest family reunion that has ever happened. His church, the bride from every nation, tongue, and language. He is Yahweh who is Elohim, who is Kadosh, who is our Deliverer, our Jesus. So, let me close, really close, with these familiar words of the hymn Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace has led me safe thus far. Can you say it with me? And grace will lead me home. Amen. Faith. We pray, Lord, wherever we are in the topography of this life, that you would give us faith, that you would give us encouragement, that you would give us strength. And even today you would underscore that you are our Savior, you are our Emmanuel. If you've never put your trust in what Jesus has done and you see it, you'd like to, just pray with me. Lord, I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity. I want to turn from everything I've called religion and put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done on the cross for me before a holy God. Thank you that it is finished. Thank you that there's no more judgment because you took it all. Thank you that even now you are in my life. Even now I am forgiven. Even now your spirit has come to me. I am yours. 
Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you and we are walking through a, a, a difficult patch of ground. Would you elevate your grace in our lives that spells it Emmanuel? Would you give us faith to see that you are there? Would you help us to see that you are the friend that sticks closer than a brother? That you not only have our back, but you are leading us. And even in the midst of these things, you are changing us. Would you bring us to a simple faith in you and a recognition and a sense of your presence to move forward? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.